Today's reading is Psalm 8, and it can be found on page 546 in the Church Bibles. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, what a glorious psalm and what an amazing video. One, of course, is a very ancient text attempting to articulate something of the glory of God. And one is very obviously a modern attempt to capture something of the vastness of creation. The scale of it all is truly amazing, isn't it? Just mind-boggling, the distances involved. What has struck me again whilst I've been studying this psalm is the greatness of our creator God. It's the breadth of his imagination and his creative genius. How do you think up a giraffe? The beauty of all that he made, especially at this time of year when you look out at the colours, there isn't just one green or one orange, is there? There are shades of them. The fact that we, as human beings, are almost totally insignificant when considered against the backdrop of the universe, and yet... We are loved beyond measure. We are created in God's image, and we are custodians of this world that he has made. So why talk about creation today? It's not quite part of the Revelation series, is it? But traditionally, of course, at this time of year, many churches up and down the country will be focusing on harvest festivals. And this is good, and they're thanking God for the provision of food through good crops that the farmers have brought in healthy livestock, rejoicing in the fact that the seasons keep rolling round and round, looking forward perhaps to a quieter time in the winter when there's not quite so much to do, and then again to spring when new life starts again. But of course, to a large extent, living in a fairly urban setting, we've almost lost touch really, haven't we, with the realities of where our food comes from. We don't have the same opportunities to watch food grow and develop. Now, I know there are gardeners in the congregation who regularly grow all sorts of things and do it well. I, I kill things when I grow them. I have no idea how, but it just happens. Um, and we don't regularly brush up against dairy herds or beef herds and things like that. We have got chickens. They're still alive. And we do get eggs out of them, so that's good. But our connection with God's creation is limited often, isn't it? Perhaps to walks in the countryside with the dog or along the canal. Or when we go on holidays, perhaps walk along coastal paths or up in the mountains and what have you. 
or David Attenborough. David Attenborough programs, they are an amazing way to look at nature, aren't they? So you can do that from the safety of your own armchair. But we don't have the same reliance on the right weather that so many people around the world do. Communities live with the day-to-day -day fear of whether there'll be droughts and therefore famine, or flooding and therefore famine. We just get a bit grumpy if our holiday gets rained on. And so this psalm makes us stop and reconsider who made this earth that we live on. It makes us marvel at the sheer scale of what surrounds us. And then it reminds us that we have responsibilities as part of God's creation. So we're going to look at the psalm more closely. And we notice, first of all, that this psalm is bookended, if you like, by the phrase, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, when a phrase comes twice, it's intended to make you stop and think. So let's have a look at what this phrase actually means. The first word, Lord, is the I am name for God. God gave, called himself I am. He's the God who is always there, has always been there, will always be there forever. He's the God of eternity, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So that's the first Lord. The second Lord, actually in the original, is the word Adonai. This underlines the fact that God, the God we worship, is also the God who's established covenant with his people. He wants to be involved. He wants to have relationship. He is intimately involved in us, with us, caring for us. And then the word majestic. How majestic is your name in all the earth? Used to describe this God. Now we call our queen her majesty. And we know that this word usually refers to royalty. Somebody who's seated on a throne. And somebody that ordinary people, like me, would approach with reverence. So it's used to describe this God that we're talking about. And if you notice from the text as well, it's not just God who is majestic. The writer tells us that even his name is worthy of the utmost respect. And so this is no ordinary individual that we are thinking about today. This God is someone whose being is far beyond anything else we will ever encounter. Someone who is worthy of praise and honour. And someone we need to be constantly reminded to pay allegiance to. And so that's why the phrase starts and ends this psalm. It underlines the importance of who God is. But then the writer, David, starts to outline some of the reasons why God is so worthy of our worship. Now you get the sense from reading this psalm that David spent many hours gazing up at the night sky and marvelling at what he saw. Now, of course, we know that he was a shepherd boy before he was anointed king. Then he was a soldier king as well, a warrior king. So he'd have spent many times out with his troops camping as well. So you can imagine him lying back, um, perhaps around a campfire or whatever, and looking up at the heavens. And I'm sure many of us have done that. I remember as a child on a, a crusader camp when I, was, when I was a teenager, lying on the, on the grass in the night and looking up at the Milky Way and the stars. And it's just awesome. And he clearly sees God's creativity at work in the stars and the planets and the constellations and everything that he sees out there. 
And it's clear that he is in no doubt that there is intentional design behind all that he sees. It is no accident. Further on, in verses 6 to 8, he says, You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish, and everything that swims the paths of the sea. So he acknowledges that everything finds its origin in this God he's talking about, this creator. But it's as if David is really struggling to find the words to express exactly how amazing God is. He's at a loss to articulate all that he feels about this amazing God, this creator who has made such a rich world that he's surrounded by. And that's, of course, especially true of verse 4. Because he says, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? It's as if he's utterly undone by the fact that the God who made the universe and everything that's in it still cares about tiny human beings placed within it. We sometimes sing, don't we, with the children, tiny little me. You've still got time for tiny little me. And I think if David had known that song, he'd probably have been singing it. You can hear him struggling to work out how the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords bothers with someone so small and insignificant as he is. Who am I? Who am I, God, in the face of all that you've made? that you should care for me. And if you think back to that video and the girl lying on the grass and the vast scale of what goes on in the universe and the intricacies of what's inside us as well, it's quite mind-blowing. But it's also true that human beings are of immense value and worth in the sight of this almighty God. God knows your name. The creator of the universe knows your name. He knows everything about you, including how many hairs are on your head. It's mind-boggling. And in fact, not only do we have great value and worth, but God has given us a job to do. He's entrusted us with the care of all that we see. And in this psalm, it's clear that there's no area of the planet that is left out of the description of what we, could, what we are to care for. But it's interesting, too, that David sees powerful witness to God's glory coming from newborn babies. How can that be? And yet he's clearly here equating the miracle of new life with a demonstration of God's power and creative genius. So I'm sure most of us at some point will have looked at a brand new baby and marveled that nine months ago, two separate cells came together. And now you have a little human being. It's remarkable, fully formed. God's creativity displayed in the intricacies of tiny fingers and tiny toes. The God we worship really is truly worthy of our praise, not just for the vastness, but for the minute detail as well. But then, of course, in the middle of the psalm, verse 6, comes the crunch. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. So it seems that we've not just been put here to enjoy what God has made, although he does want us to enjoy it, but we've also been given charge over his creation. 
We have been given, as humans, a privileged position within the created order. Just a little lower than the angels, but crowned with glory and honour. But with that comes huge responsibility. Because all of it belongs to God, including us. And he wants us to take care of it and each other. So if you like, we are to be stewards of the resources and the wealth that God has gifted to us. Now often in the past, people have interpreted verse 6 as a mandate to use the world's resources in any way we think fit and not to worry about it and have no thought to its care. They've taken the word rule to mean that humans have the final say over what happens to every aspect of the planet. And the result, as we know only too well, is that we have used and abused what God has given us. But I don't see that mandate here in this psalm. The fact that the psalm clearly focuses on the majesty and the sovereignty of God as creator shows that we have to be extremely careful about how we interact with his creation. So it would seem that our role is more a caretaker role here to ensure that the world thrives and prospers, here to ensure that all of God's creatures are taken care of, not just some, here to ensure that the resources that we have been provided with, which are vast and rich, are apportioned fairly and enjoyed by all, and that there is a healthy planet for future generations to inherit. And as Liz and Jason were saying earlier, there's been a lot in the news about that in the last 48 hours, hasn't there, about young people saying, actually, this is our world too. We need you to look after it. So that's the commission I see outlined in this psalm. It is not a license to plunder and to waste. Because ultimately, we are accountable to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for what we do with the creation he's given us. Now, unless you've had your head in the sand for the last 20 years or so, you'll be aware that we're not doing terribly well with the job that we've been given. And this isn't a forum to beat ourselves up about that, um, beat ourselves up about conservation and ethical clothing and fair trade and all the rest of it. I've put together a fact sheet, um, a resource sheet, which um, we're going to email out to the church tomorrow. I've printed a few off, but I did think it was slightly counterintuitive to print off one for everybody, given what I'm talking about. So um, we will email them out to people tomorrow. But there's loads of information on there about books you can read, people you can get involved with, organisations and so on, and things to do with for families as well. Um, and there are some on the, on the welcome desk if you would like a hard copy. But I thought I would take a look back over my lifetime and see how well my generation has been doing with stewarding God's gift of creation. It wasn't pretty. In the last 50 years or so, since 1970, humanity has wiped out 60% of animal populations. That's according to the World Wildlife Fund. So in human terms, that would be equivalent to emptying North America, South America, Africa, Europe, China, and Oceania. There's not much left, is there, really? Since 1970, over 700,000 square kilometres 700, of Amazon rainforest have been destroyed. 
And of course, that's been in the news recently as well. It's hit the international headlines because people are trying to stop the fires that are burning there. Nearly half the world's population, so that's over 3 billion people, live on less than $2.50 a day. That's about two pounds sterling. Every day, approximately 8 million bits of plastic pollution enter our world's oceans. And 100,000 marine mammals and turtles and 1 million seabirds are killed every year by marine plastic pollution. Here in the UK, we generally use three times more of the world's resources than we should do. The average Brit works through 24 tonnes of crops, trees, minerals and fossil fuels each year. And globally, there are at least 2 billion people using contaminated drinking water every day. Those are frightening statistics. You you, I just turn the tap on and don't take it, you know, don't think about it. I could go on, you could look up or Google stuff, you know, you get the picture. We are not doing a good job with what God has entrusted to us. And one day, as followers of Jesus, we will be held accountable for what we've done with his creation. But it's not all doom and gloom. We are much more aware now of the issues that are facing us. Often through documentaries like Blue, Pan Blue Planet, I have to say David Attenborough's done a marvellous job of um, telling us what is really going on. And there are global campaigns, aren't there, about rubbish. There are plenty of organisations such as Fair Trade and the Rainforest Alliance and um, green and environmental issues are no longer wacky side issues as they were when I was growing up. It's, you know, Greenpeace always seemed to be in trouble and it was just a bit weird. But now it's mainstream and that's good, that's as it should be. There's also a growing call for justice globally so that everybody has got access to clean water. Lots of us, I know, have twinned our toilets um, with um, toilets in Africa and, and other third world countries to help them have proper loos. And there are lots of other similar initiatives. Operations, um, organisations such as Operation Noah and Tear Fund working to reverse climate change and pr promote a biblical care of creation. Groups such as World Vision, working hard to support children in the poorest areas of the world. And you can talk to Jason more about that later on if you'd like to, as he works for World Vision. And there are lots of organisations, both secular and faith-based, that are doing their best to try and reverse what we have done. We're just going to watch one more video. It's only a minute long, but this is what Tear Fund are doing. And this is where we come back to the Bible. Because at the heart of our gospel is God's desire for the restoration of all things. It's not just human salvation, although of course it is that too. Romans 8, 20 and 21 describe how the whole creation is longing for the moment when Jesus will redeem all things, when our broken world will be restored to its original design and beauty. And Jesus himself in his manifesto in Luke 4 expressed how he was going to bring freedom, freedom from chains and oppression, bring good news to the poor. In today's world, just think how much joy it would bring to the poorest people if they knew that they were going to get clean water. 
wouldn't have to go and walk for hours to get something which was probably muddy and disease-contaminated. And so our gospel is one of good news for the whole earth, and we should see it as such, because one day Jesus will redeem it all. But in the meantime, it's up to us to look after it, to value what we have been given, and to repent of the stuff that we have done that's caused so much damage. We need to look to do good, to engage with issues in a meaningful way. We need to put aside our own needs as consumers. We're always wanting more. I know I am. And work for the good of everybody, not just the few. So in order to re-establish the order of things, in order for us to live as though we really agree with the psalmist that our God is the majestic creator king, I wonder perhaps if we need to take the words from Micah 6, 8 as our motto. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So perhaps it's time for all of us to think about how best we can do that in all areas of our lives. What we eat and drink and buy and wear and where we live and all the rest of it. But also for us to remember that at the heart of this psalm is the reminder that we are cared and loved. Beyond measure, beyond our imagination, this creator God knows us and loves us. There's a line from a song which Catherine Scott wrote called Creator King and it says, The hands that stretched the heavens like a canopy reaches down to cover and watch over me. He's my creator king. If we realize just how precious we are to God, surely that will change how we see our world and how we see other people in it. If we realize that all human beings are created in God's image and that he loves each one of them equally, how will that change how we look after other people? Will it change how we act? Will it change how I act? Or will we just carry on watching the news and letting it wash over us? It's difficult, isn't it? Because sometimes this is such a huge topic. We can get caught like rabbits in the headlight and thinking, I can't do anything to change this. But we need to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our creator God. So we're going to pray now. I really sensed as I was preparing this that it may be that some people really haven't grasped how precious to God they really are. There's going to be time for prayer ministry after the service, but it would be lovely if we just took some time to remember God cares about us individually, each of us. It doesn't matter where we're from, what we've done. God knows us and he loves us. He knows our fingerprints, everything about us. And to help us then think about that in terms of global issues that he wants us to care for what he's made. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the beauty of the world that you've put around us. We thank you for the variety that there is in nature. Thank you for the colours, especially at this time of year. 
We thank you for oceans and for beaches and mountains and everything that you've given us to rejoice in, Lord God. But this morning, we accept that we've made a really poor job of looking after it, of stewarding it for you. So, Lord, we just ask that you would help us to be better at caring for your creation. And in the midst of all that, I pray that each one of us would have a really strong grasp of the fact that you love us individually as we are. That you know us, you know our names, you know how we're doing, and you want relationship with us. And we pray, Lord, that that, that knowledge would spur us on to better care for other people who are also known to you, loved by you, unique individuals, and the creation that you've given us. Thank you for this psalm. Thank you for all that it says about who you are. In your name. Amen. Now we're going to stand together in just a minute and we're going to finish our service today by singing, um, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder. So we'd like to stand. <laughs>